Crime Scene Queens, everyone. It is your girls, the Crime Scene Queens, back at it again. And we are here to give you all of the science and all of the good details about forensics and crime scene investigation while still keeping the integrity, still protecting victims, and just generally doing the right thing. Now, that being said, I am Laura, your friendly neighborhood field mouse and crime scene investigator. Well, thank you so much for that intro, Laura. I am Shelly, your courtroom cat. Tell us, Laura, what's going on today? So today we get to have a lovely interview with someone who actually worked alongside me in crime scene. No, he was not in my crime scene unit, but I literally don't know what I would have done without Rob Caceres. And that is the white way to say his name. And <laughs> I'm not sorry to admit that. Rob works for a local sheriff's office in the same county where I worked. And he was huge in continuing my personal education to improve my skills as a crime scene investigator, as well as being really generous with his time and training. And he does this now all over the county. He serves as the Region 5 Director for the Florida Division of the International Association for Identification. He hosts and instructs training classes for crime scene investigators and crime scene unit supervisors for GAP Forensics. And anything else I missed? I mean, hello, Rob. Wow, that's so impressive. Uh, just a couple of things you missed, but no, I'm just... Uh, uh <laughs> I really, really appreciate being on the show. The only other thing that I've done, I mean, besides some of the stuff is yeah. uh, I was hired earlier this year as a adjunct instructor Yay. for the uh, local police academy. And I teach the uh, crime scene portion of the curriculum. That's, That's awesome. super rad. Yeah. Well, so, Shelly and uh, I are teachers too. So we are snaps for that. Snaps for yes. that. Very good. Very good. So one of the reasons why I asked or thought of Rob to contribute to our show is that he has a really unique set of experiences in our field involving mass fatality or mass death. And of the scenes that Rob has worked, the structure, the building, the environment that he was tasked with processing these crime scenes and all of these different individuals is unique. And while we want to maintain the integrity of our show, we're not going to be calling out those specific incidents. However, we are going to be including details that speak to the unique nature of the crime scene so that Rob can walk us through how to tackle a scene like that that's such an outlier, both from a forensic practitioner's standpoint, and then we're even going to tap into a little bit of our feelings and what it's like to see so much tragedy condensed into one place and be at these types of scenes for hours and hours and hours. So before we get into all of that, I would like to know how you got started in crime scene and how long you've been doing it. So I started with the department in 2002. I went through the police academy. I was on road patrol, just a regular cop out in the streets. Um, you know, pulling people over, giving out tickets, responding to calls, just like any brand new cop, you know, with excitement, energy, wanting to do a lot of stuff at the same time, you know, learning uh, the job. In late 2007, there was an opening in the unit, in the crime scene unit in my department. I just put my foot out there. I just handed in my application, did the interview. And a couple months later, I was uh, transferred to the unit. 
Wow. Wow. Yep. And that 2007. was 2007. Well, that was late 2007, but in May of 2008, I was transferred. Mm, okay. Um, so ever since May of 2008, I've been in the crime scene unit. Wow. And so now um, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I think that you are the most senior member of the crime scene unit at this point. Is there anybody out, out doing you for that? There's one other guy that has about one. a year and a half. About a year and a half more than I do, um, mm, but I okay. am second. I am second uh, senior out of fifteen people now. Yeah, but wow. if you're not first, you're last, Rob. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Get a movie quote. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> so, for our listeners that think that I'm being mean to our guests, Rob and I have been friends. His little joke, uh, he made a joke earlier to Shelly um, and Ryan, producer Ryan, that he he and I have known each other a few weeks. That's completely not true. I mean, I think the first time I met Rob when I was a little bit of CSI was any time in the early 2010s. I can't tell you the exact scene that I met you because I know I was always floating around his crime scene unit because they had resources that we didn't, they were, they just knew more than I did. And I know that I've referenced in other episodes, I'm really crazy about like absorbing information. So I hung out with Rob and a few members of his CSI unit that are probably not there anymore. But then we started a deeper friendship when I went to my second agency and we had a lot less resources. So I needed to use Rob's help a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) So I tend to elbow him in the ribs and say stuff. So don't think I'm being mean to our guests. uh, Just teasing Rob. Yeah, don't at Laura because she's just teasing him. Don't at Laura for being a hater. I'm the one that just met him and I was teasing him, but that's fine. We we, we won't have to get into the spelling on that one. And you yes. know what? I, I could roll with the punches too. So yeah, you, you certainly them, can. You throw them, I'll catch them, and I'll throw them back at you. Nice. I feel. So. I feel like I might be putting you on the spot with this question, but do you remember the first time you worked with me? Because I can't narrow down the first time I worked with you. It would have had to been a homicide. Yeah, you think so? It would have had to been something more serious than just a regular call for me to assist, only because in the early 2010s we were responding yeah. to the cities. I hate to say this, but to take over the investigation from the forensic point, only because. That's the way, you know, quote unquote, that's yeah. the way it was. Um, yeah. But it would have to been something, uh, a homicide or something serious to the point where we went uh, to assist you in, you know. Yeah. I think that it might have been a particular officer involved homicide that I have referenced in an earlier episode because a bullet went into a tree. I think that I might have met you there with a few people that I'll text you later. And it probably was like around 2012. And you might have come because I had never had an officer-involved homicide before. And I was like, um, I need help right now. <laughs> yeah. In this field. And everybody knows mm-hmm. this. But nobody. Yes. Everybody knows this. And, and some people live by it. But some people don't. You know, every everything is a learning environment. Uh, Correct. Yeah. So I don't call anything hard. Like a hard task or this and that. It's always challenging. Because you yeah. can do it. You just have to be taught. And you mm-hmm. have to uh, re- regurgitate all the all what you've been taught and then redo it so yeah you know uh but yeah it probably was something that serious something like that met. but i i know that for sure we've known each other for at least a minimum of 10 years oh, a minimum so, of a hundred percent agree yep, i know absolutely. <laughs> little baby little baby csi laura was like rob help me, oh, me too. help me <laughs> that's right we we help each other out as much as mm-hmm. we could you know we interviewed jared bradley with the mvac and i uh was telling him him how we at my second agency would use your machine and then you would like 
help me sometimes because of how many hours it was taking to do certain pieces of evidence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the machine is like not a five-second setup or anything. Yeah, and, the thing is that, and that's the thing with that machine. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the setup that takes forever because it's not just, you know, throw it in the, mm-hmm. throw it in the machine and, and take it out nope. and it's done, you know, just like a microwave. Rob's uh, selling it like just, I did. I know, know, right? (laughs) Well, but it gets results. And, you know, nothing in crime scene really should be rushed anyways. Mm -hmm. Every case, every time, right? Never. Every case, every time. Yeah. And let me Mm -hmm. ask you, and, and, you know, I'm sure that 99% of your audience knows this, but at one point or another on a scene, somebody's being rushed because of something. Yes. We Mm -hmm. have had episodes discussing, I think it's our pet peeve episode where it's like CSI gripes and groans where I talk about being rushed off of a homicide because they wanted to open a golf hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid crap. Rob, you are sworn, right? Yes, I am. Okay. Because you were prior law enforcement. Yes. So as, you know, I I guess I'm, I'm just hitting on, you know, Laura talking about how they were wanting to open up the golf course. They were rushing the CSIs through the, the crime scene. And, you know, she was saying that that was like a pet peeve of hers. And there was a couple of pet peeves that she had talked about, you know, and that I had talked about. And we work very closely and very well with law enforcement. However, you know, I, I don't know if I, I don't, I'm trying I'm trying to like skirt around it, but I guess I'm just going to bluntly say it. Yeah, just do it. We absolutely did not mean to offend anyone when we were doing that episode and to make light of any any situation, any story, anything like that. However, it seemed maybe a little bit harsh sometimes when we were talking about yeah. situations where, you know, either people of authority or even like, you know, law enforcement. For instance, they got pizza and, you know, they forget about us, you know, and we're out yeah, there. Yeah, well, we scene. got feedback that we were shitty to cops and like the chain of command. Yeah. And, that you know, that's, I mean, that's definitely not what we were saying by any, you know, any stretch of the imagination. So my question to you, I guess, is, you know, you were law enforcement and you're still sworn, but now you're doing CSI only. So what would be your potential, not gripes or anything, but you kind of understand the both difference, sides, yeah, right. both sides of it. So it's not like we're really complaining. It's just it's two different mentalities and it's, you know, one not knowing the other, I guess, is a good way to say it. I mean, I don't know if you would agree or if you have a different perspective. No, I totally agree with you. And I'll tell you one thing. Every time I teach a class and obviously 99 percent of the classes, if not 100 percent of the classes that I teach have civilian crime scene personnel in it. And it doesn't matter whether they've been there for a year or 20 years. It doesn't matter. Civilian personnel, in my opinion, are extremely, extremely very well, like they covet their job mm-hmm. yeah. because, and I'm going to explain this, and I always explain it, and it's not a secret with me. Law enforcement has different departments in which one person can go. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you uh, leave, the, leave that unit or are kicked out of the unit or are removed by a supervisor or upper command, you will always, in law enforcement, as a law enforcement officer, you will always land somewhere else where you can continue your job, whether enforcing the laws or uh, to a minimum, like in crime scene, but you can still find a nice, cozy home somewhere within your department. Mm -hmm. As a civilian investigator in crime scene, you, you have two options, in my opinion. You have the option of either A, Going back to parking tickets or doing car accidents or something like that, which some people don't have that option, or B, finding a home somewhere else in another department. Mm-hmm. So I find that a lot of civilian people covet their job. Like they want to learn, they want to have that job because 
they know that if if it's time to be uh, you know kicked out of the unit for the most part, they're gonna have to end up looking for another job somewhere else and start right. all over as far as their seniority and getting to know people and stuff like that. As sworn, you don't. So with that being said, um, you know the facts are the facts. So you know some people might say that you were harsh or that you know you were a little bit too hard on the cops and stuff like that on scene. But the reality is that whether we're sworn or not, and I can say this firsthand, you know, we're still stepped over, uh, stepped on as well on scenes. You know, mm -hmm. I need you to do this. Hurry up. Uh, have you done this? When are you going to be done? You know, and stuff like that. Collect that because we want to collect it. You know, just because I'm law enforcement or just because I'm sworn doesn't mean that I'm going to put my foot down and say, no, we're not. You know, because up to a certain point, I can say that. But at the end of the day, just like any other civilian person, we're going to have to do it because yeah, mm -hmm, because yeah. In my, as far as my department, we're just a support unit. So basically, the hundreds and hundreds of hours that we have of training and teaching and learning and all that other stuff goes out the window when somebody that doesn't have that training, has no forensic background, simply says, collect that because we want to collect it. Take a picture yeah. of this because we want to take a picture of this. So my law enforcement is out the window. My training is out the window, and all I'm left is as as crime scene is just you know a, a photographer and a picker upper, <laughs> picker upper. So, yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. No, I, so, I yeah. get that. Yeah, yeah. I have to say that like the few times that I've pushed back on, not like I didn't really care. Of course, there were times where it was annoying if I was asked to, like pick up a piece of evidence that was stupid for 700 million reasons but i would usually just like do it anyways it's typically like the speaking to us like administrative assistants or trained animals basically that was really hard for me to handle as a type a female in fact i remember one time kind of responding to an officer candidly and being like you know you you don't get to talk to me like that so guess what happened when I got back to the scene? I get pulled into the lieutenant's office. And of course, my behavior was aggressive and inappropriate. And I was like, you know what? That was like one of several variables that caused me to make a shift from my first PD. There were many others. But how do you, how do you handle when it escalates to like we're no longer speaking to each other in a manner that is collaborative and respectful like what is your response because you have you do have something that we don't you do have a camaraderie of the badge now we also have badges they just don't have guns with them <laughs> <laughs> well here's the thing i've been on scenes where i've had it I i've been going back and forth with other uh, mm -hmm. detectives right once in a while road patrol and once in a while road patrol supervisor uh, right you know but one thing that i've learned in this job and especially mm -hmm. teaching and training is patience. Yeah, so right. I have grown to learn to have patience. Obviously, yeah, everybody explodes at one point, and whether it's you know for the negative or the positive, you're gonna explode because that's it. Your patience is is thin, is running thin. Right. But I've learned how to have patience, and if it escalates to a certain point, you know, luckily for me, I have a supervisor or or supervisors that can interfere that and be able to uh, talk to whoever in order to be our yeah. buffer. Uh, right. It's always good to have somebody as a buffer. If it's a one-on-one, -on -one, I think, to be honest with you, the best thing to do as an advice is to just uh, walk yeah. away, you know, bring the tensions down, and then regroup thoughts and ideas, yeah. and then have 
either an on-scene meeting with that officer or with the supervisor and talk it out because the, yeah. the going back and forth is never going to help. Believe me, I've seen it. I've seen it plenty of times. And the person that is the most aggressive is the is is the one that loses. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in my situation, it wasn't even a back and forth. It was just a, hey, like, you need to stop, like, yep. with this cadence of speaking to me. Um, but, yeah, I agree that a back and forth isn't typically prudent, especially on scene when there's lots right. of eyes on you and mm -hmm. people can tell whatever kind of story they want. So speaking of patience, one of the reasons why you're here is to discuss with us these crime scenes that seem bigger than life. Um, in Florida, unfortunately, we've had too many. And for you, you've had, I mean, for a lot of crime scene investigators, one major incident that is in the national media, not just local media or state media, like the national media and has extensive coverage over a long period of time. Most of us don't even get one of those. But for you, I'm aware of two and there's probably more. And the reason why I wanted to go into it with you is because when I think about some of the scenes you've had, I remember, how do I even do this? Like, how would I even be able to do this? Because at maybe not as much in your unit, but in my units, I'm sure you noticed staffing is an issue. Like, how do you even send as many people to the hospital and process the scene? And how many days would that take? So... The one I'm thinking of first is a multi-story building involving between 10 and 20 deaths and equal as many hospital visits from victims that were wounded, not deceased. Now, this is a firearms death scene. So my challenge when I thought about this was the chaos that ensued at the time of the incident. I'm sure there was a lot of furniture, a lot of personal effects, and you're talking about multiple levels. Walk us through this and a little bit kind of tell me like your feelings from that day, from the moment that you were dispatched, if you don't mind, because I'm like personally curious, like how you felt. Yeah. So with the information that we received on that day. Mm-hmm. It was obviously overwhelming. Right. As an as a forensic investigator in a unit that has at the time we had twelve people, well, twelve investigators. We were also questioning ourselves as far as the approach. Mm -hmm. uh, because you know that every time you get a scene, um, and I and I use this very lightly, but uh, whether it's a small scene or a big scene, whether it's an unattended death or a homicide and everything in between. You're always formulating a plan when, uh, as you're getting there, right? 100%. No scene is the same. Um, you could get five suicides, uh, you know, by gunshot wound or, or by gun. Um, and they're all different, right? One is a revolver. One's a semi-automatic. One's a rifle, blah, 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 blah. So, but you're formulating a plan, right? What am I going to do when I first get there? Pictures. Okay, I'm going to meet with the officer. I'm going to meet with the deputy. I'm going to meet with the detective. And I'm going to do the gun first, then the victim. Or I'm going to do the victim first, then the gun. If it's a yes, multiple story yes. building. You know, um, if you get a jumper from a building, what am I going to do when I get there? Am I going to, where am I going to park? Right? Yeah, where, from, yeah. yeah. Right? Because you're not going to park. Where park is a problem. Especially when you bring stuff to and from the scene. Parking is a problem. Absolutely. Yes. Because you have to facilitate your equipment in order to make a better um 
uh, investigative um, assessment of the scene and oh, all, like I said, you know, work the scene to the best of your ability with the equipment that you have, but make it accessible. So with that being said, on the way to this particular scene, especially me, I was assessing in my mind, how can we tackle, how can we overcome a huge scene that we haven't had before of this magnitude? Um, if I was a supervisor, if mm -hmm. I was put as a leader or in charge of the scene, how can I be able to tackle this? So on the way there, I thought to myself, you know what? If we break up into groups, I think we'll be, have a better result overall as opposed to, you know, groups or teams as opposed to what we usually get, which is one lead, one co-lead and everybody else as a support, right? Waiting for instructions. Yeah. You know, I need you to do this. I need you to photograph this. I need you to take this video. I need you to walk over here, take this measurement, blah, blah, blah. And people are just waiting around. So with that being said, on the way up there, that's exactly what I was thinking. If I was a supervisor on scene and in charge, what would I do? And coincidentally, when we had our briefing prior to going in there, that's exactly what my supervisor had said. We're going to break up into teams. So, you know, not knowingly, we were thinking pretty much the same thing. Uh, so it made me happy only because, I, I, you know, what I had thought was actually was what was going to happen. Um, right. So that's that's what we did. At our briefing, we we spoke about how to tackle this uh, this huge crime scene prior to actually even stepping on the um, the grounds of the area that we were going to go. I mean, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, for our listeners, one of the things that, you know, they're thinking, OK, so let's say that this is, you know, a five story building. Correct. So and there's evidence on all five levels. Do you start at one and work your way up? Do you start at five, work your way down? Um, you know that because this is such a huge building that potentially all, you know, law enforcement that's already come through and, and made scenes safe have probably disturbed a lot of the evidence already. So what's your what's your best thing? I mean, if you start at five, then you're potentially destroying more evidence from one working way up. So what is your what is your I guess, what's your plan? So my plan, well, what my plan would be is to subdivide all the work. And like I said, into teams, I would pick every floor. I would pick a team leader and I would give that team leader a number of investigators to work with so that everybody has a job within each floor and everybody is contributing to the whole invest to the investigation as a whole. So. As a seasoned investigator, when I go to a shooting, I determine how, if I need somebody, if I need help. Yeah. Um, so I need one person, I need two people, depending on the amount of casings, depending on the guns, how many uh, structural damage, how many cars have been shot. You know, if I have three three houses, two cars, people at a hospital, and fifty casings everywhere, that's going to be a lot of work for me. So I already know I need a, a second person, if not a third person. So if I have the same thing on a particular floor, you know, uh, rooms shot casings all over the place, uh, projectiles all over the place, um, you know, defects on the walls and stuff like that that need to be documented. I'm going to know that I'm going to need probably about four people with me. Mm -hmm. Team leader plus four people, you know, maybe a fifth person. So with that being said, making an assessment of every floor, because every floor might not be the same, but right. making an mm -hmm. assessment of every floor. And, and I didn't even talk about victims. So 
uh, again, making an assessment of every floor and what the work entails will be able to you as the as the supervisor or as the leader of the whole crime scene, you will be able to tell how your teams are going to be uh, are going to be separated. So again, you might have a team leader on the fifth floor with four investigators that makes five. And then on the on the fourth floor, you might just have three plus a team leader. Um, and not not to forget about you know stairwells, mm-hmm. um, also a yard, a parking lot, yep. you know yeah. something close be uh, close by, maybe another a balcony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And if they potentially hadn't caught the suspect, then you know the scene is still considered dangerous. So or potentially could be dangerous. So how is that handled? So scene security is something that is very imperative, especially on a scene where a suspect has not been apprehended. So scene security has to be tight. Uh, you know, road patrol, especially road patrol supervisors, have to have that knowledge that, you know, investigators that are, especially civilians, are not armed. You know, mm-hmm. there's, a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of units out there that are not wearing a ballistic vest. Um, yeah. And I know that a lot of civilian crime scene investigators fight for this for the vest yeah and a lot get pushed back and a lot get approved mm-hmm. you know because i've known I, i've known uh especially one uh department in florida okay two <laughs> that they you know they put in the proposal they put in their memo and they had a vest within a couple of weeks and i know yeah but they didn't buy us anything else though correct and i know <laughs> yeah exactly no and i know other departments that have been putting memos for years and they still have nothing at all. So again, you know, scene security by deputies or by officers is very, very imperative. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you also get the approval. Sure. You can, you know, if you want to wear it, you can wear it. And then you get those that are like, I don't want that extra weight or that extra whatever, you know, it's, it's cumbersome. It is what, you know, whatever it is. So you get authorization and approval for it, but then they end up not wearing it. Or you end up getting the expired panels that are going to what? Stop what? I mean, because yeah, how is yeah. it fair for a, you know, a cop and, you know, I mean, listen, it is what it is, right? It's the truth. How is it fair for a cop to get a brand new vest and then a civilian person that's going to wear a vest get the expired ones? I mean. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Before we start talking about the immense tragedy that you were finding yourself among, I have to tell you where my brain went. The first time I thought about you on this scene from a CSI perspective, not about the other ways where I like actually care about you as a person. Oh, you're so sweet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But there was so much. Now, when I am on scene, I am insane about the way that my evidence is photographed and then subsequently the way that it is numbered and identified in my second um, round of medium range and close up. Mm-hmm. And I 90% of the time was able to achieve the psychotic, ridiculous need to have the item number match like the cone number. And Shelly and I have had conversations before about like, well, what happens when you run out of like A through Z if you have Mm -hmm. letters or 1 through 99 when you have numbers? And I know that sometimes when you have two people on scene, it's good practice to have like an initials before like your series of cones. But for something like this, Rob, how could you possibly number 
evidence, enter it into evidence and have any of it make sense? Did you separate it by floor? Like, like when I think about how many things you had to document and have it be cohesive in some way or concerted or methodical, like I got, I have to know how you did that because it's driving me like I would almost overwhelm myself with needing it to make sense. So imagine stepping into a, it could be anything. Imagine <laughs> stepping into a house with 150, mm-hmm. 300 casings everywhere, right? Yeah. Where do you put the cone? Where do you put number one at? <laughs> right? Yeah. I guess you'd have to group them and okay. then be like. So that would be my advice. My advice would okay. be to group, to yes. group the evidence. Very good. Very good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, Nailed that it. <laughs> yes. Hashtag winning. <laughs> that's, number si- that's the question number 16 on the test. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So the ideal way of collection is going to be by group. Uh, actually, documentation and collection is going to be by group. Right. So okay. obviously, depending on your scene, where you are, yeah, you would make what I recommend is making quadrants or, yes. or, or grouping or box things, right? And box them mm-hmm. the way that you would be able to explain it, not only on your report, but as well as photographs and as well as in court if it ever goes to court. But you'll be able to box them or quadrant them or mm-hmm. grid them in a mm-hmm. way where you could collect multiple items and it would make sense when they get processed, when they get yeah. uh, packaged, and when they get presented. So, for example, you have 20 casings in front of, um, let's say, let's say, let's say, you, let's say there's a, a big, massive shooting at a mall, right? Every mm-hmm. store is different because there's no two stores of the same. There's no two Gaps. There's no two Abercrombie and Fitch or whatever the case may be. So... The casings would be from that store, right? So that grouping of casings is going to be from that store only. So instead of doing one through 50 at the gap and then one through 50 at, you know, like I said, Abercrombie and Fitch and then one through 50 at the next store, it would be, it would just be 50, for example, 50 casings or 50 fired casings from this particular area. And that's how we would do it because you're going to have one through, uh, you know, one through 500 items. And then on top of that, you know, you have swabbings, you have DNA, you have yeah. fingerprints, you have this and that. So, again, if you group them, and my recommendation yeah, yeah. is if you group them, it'll be easier to collect them based on the location of each item. Okay, so if I'm understanding you properly, you're saying that, okay, let's say that there's, you going, you know, you're collecting 50 casings from the Gap, and then you're collecting 50 casings from some food place mm-hmm. and you're saying that those 50 casings you're are you're each individually identifying them or are you just collectively saying there's 50 casings they're col- I'm collectively saying that there's 50 casings so my my next question is well what if there's multiple shooters multiple guns mm-hmm. if you're collecting you're collecting them all and they're all going to be together in the same uh, envelope correct now if there's different calibers, then you can separate the calibers. But the collection is going to be different from the location of the objects or the items. Because uh, remember, in order to reconstruct the crime scene, you would have to have not only a sketch, but you would also have mm-hmm. to have measurements and stuff like that. So, Correct. So I'm just thinking, if you're putting you know, all 50 in one envelope, what about... If there were multiple shooters, what about if there was, you know, whatever, if there's, uh, you're, I, I, I would feel like 
I, so I personally have never worked a mass fatality. Fatality. Thank you. And I would it would take me a lot longer because I would do everything individual or, you know, in one little area of the gap that would potentially be if they were all the same caliber, that would be one envelope and then move to the next area. And that would be another envelope because I wouldn't want to cross contaminate if there was a potential for DNA or something on those casings. Correct. And you're absolutely correct. Absolutely. And I and I don't doubt you. And I would definitely tell you, you are doing 100 percent as far as my training. You're doing 100 percent correct on that scene. But you also have to understand that on a on a major incident, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to dedicate a lot of time in one particular area, there are other areas that also have to be continuously uh, processed and worked. But if you have a cross-contamination issue, like I said, you could always group the same casings, for example, at a shooting. Because remember, you could have a mass incident that involves knives. And then what do you mm-hmm. do, right? You have like six knives what do you do do you collect them together or do you do like one through whatever uh but in my opinion it's going to be it's going to be safe to assume that if we have a 556 caliber uh, Mm -hmm. casings and a nine millimeter casings that obviously we have two different firearms but the nine millimeter is probably going to come from the one gun as opposed to two but if even if we have two or three guns and we have a cross-contamination ish uh problem the casings are still mixed with each other. If we need to further separate them at collection time, we can still group them based on their location. So if we have 15 in the front entrance and 15, let's say, I don't know, by the men's uh, section and mm-hmm. another 16 by the women's section, we're going to collect them 16, 15, and 15 yeah. as opposed to you know, doing 50 at the same time. Gotcha. Because okay. Again, yeah. We can yeah. have three shooters. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. So that's what I was saying. Was you know, like saying everything in the gap all as one to me gives me a little heartburn. Instead, right. I would prefer <laughs> it to be you know, if there's like one area and they're all the same caliber, right. then that that I can see. You know, and you want to do best right. practice. You want to do you know. So I look at that as the legal in the legal perspective as well. And you know, it's best evidence. And if there's any mm-hmm. type of c- cross contamination, we you know, in the legal field, you can potentially get that thrown out. Mm-hmm. And so if you're collecting, you know, different, you're just saying here's 50 and they all came from the gap and it's all in one bag and potential cross-contamination, then good luck with that when it goes to court or if it goes to court. So that's why I was, that's why I was asking for clarification, but that yeah. makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is also, you know, normally when you go to a shooting or a homicide, you know, the victims that are there, you know, the you know, that there's five people living in the house, you know, that there's three people or you know, 10 people living in the house and two of them are dead, but the other eight are alive and we could always get a buckle swap, right? Yes. Uh, but at a store, at a public library, who knows how many the people are there? The floor is already, right. yeah. yeah. It, it, there's going to be, as soon as that casing hits the floor, there's a possibility of a cross-contamination. Yeah. So how many people yeah. do get a standard from? But yeah. if we can, you know, so whether you collect each one separately or a as a grouping of their location, you're still going to have a cross-contamination issue because you don't know, you know, at that point who the uh, where to get the standards from, who, how many people or who. So Yeah. yeah. And they probably got kicked around already a bunch. Prob- I most mean, likely. I mean, usually, well, uh, usually a lot of them, a lot of casings get kicked around yeah. by mm-hmm. medical personnel. And it's not on, it's not intentional. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's just, right. it's simply because. Human life first. Yeah, right, exactly. Human life, Human life over evidence, unfortunately. Yes. The, preservation the, of the, that. 
the preservation of, of life. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and I was thinking about what Rob was saying, Shelly, and I was kind of picturing in my head, like, like, you know, like the, if you consider like the lane of a mall and if somebody were to have an incident there, like, sure, he's saying everything in front of the gap. But in reality, even with those casings get kicked around, like people don't typically run and shoot like the boondock saints. Like they're going to yeah. stop, shoot, go to a different position, shoot. So Correct. you're going to see like in some way yeah, a little um, collection. Like a cluster yeah. of, of shell casings. Yeah. And so when Rob was describing this to me, I literally envisioned just like a floor covered in shell casings and like plopping an evidence tent down with every little cluster and then... Unless, like, he's saying there was, like, different calibers or things that obviously separate them. Yeah. I probably would say, okay, this is cone 15 in front of gap or whatever. You know, if you had to, like, break it up the way you're saying. Yeah. But, Rob, the other element of the scene that you worked in particular is... Okay, so here's one. Rob is definitely way better than me at this, so I can't wait to hear his answer. <laughs> don't don't say do- it like that. No, but it's true. No, it's it's because of... Sh- you, whatever, you just are. I don't say that a lot. So, Shelly, tell him, right? I don't say that a lot. <laughs> mm, um, <no>. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so, the, the documentation and the mapping of blood spatter on this scene i mean there were like if we can continue to use the example of the mall because it's a good analogy because you've got basically a long hallway with several different units of space right and multiple floors so now, and yeah and yeah so let's just say three floors so like you it's not just the three main hallways it goes into each space and then there's several different obstacles in the way much like a mall where there's like clothing racks so to say or this is and that like what the heck with the blood spatter how how did you so the blood spatter um you was again it's a team it's a it's a team effort. yeah you assign yeah. people to do the blood spatter only that's yeah the only documentation you have that to you that you have to because if not Think about it. When you go to a homicide, even one person shot and killed. Imagine you're doing the shooter reconstruction, the documentation of the scene, the body, the blood spa- uh, blood spatter analysis. Um, yeah. You know, all of that is time consuming. But if yeah. you separate your work, things will start going a little bit. And I don't want to say faster, but things will go start going smoother because all of the wheels are moving at the same time as opposed to waiting. Mm-hmm. So... Um, something that we do now is we train with a lot of the crime scene units in the county, in my county where, where I work. And the reason we do that is because we want to know what equipment people have in their units. We also want to know what style they work and also what is the avail- availability of people in case something happens. Because even though I have there's 15 people in my unit. If we have another mass incident occur, let's just say at a mall, right? At a local Mm -hmm. mall that we have, and there's Mm -hmm. 50 people dead all over the place. I might not be working with the people that I work in my unit with. I might be working with three or four other people that, you know, whereas before I knew some people, not all of them. And I'll be like, okay, what's your name? Now it's like, hey, you know, thank God you're on my team. And, you know, okay, this is perfect. We know, we know what we know. We know each person. So, you know, if... In my group, there is somebody that loves blood, uh, blood, blood spatter yeah. analysis. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, at least I didn't say splatter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
You would have been uh, fired. Oh, Gone. forget about our, our interview. Sorry, we got disconnected. Yeah. Done. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. No, no, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if somebody in my group has that ability or if we have 25 investigators, 35 investigators, there's no reason why a particular group or two groups of blood spatter analysts or shooting reconstructionists or anything cannot be put together, right? So if yeah. we need, for example, if we need every single item of evidence in a particular large scene, um, total station, and nobody has a yeah. total station, who are we going to call? Yeah, We'll call Highway Patrol. Or there we'll call some of the t uh, traffic homicide units, right? I hate total station. Yeah, I know. I so. hate, I always, I called them anyways. I hate total station. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't care, Shelly. I hate total station. It's not, I'm not saying it's not good. I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it doesn't have value. I'm oh, saying okay. I hate it. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. It, no, it has value. I don't oh. want to do it. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. But again, you know, why not use the, these other people? Why not use these other investigators that can ha that yeah. have the ability, have the equipment and can cut the work yeah. for us? tremendously because they know they know what they're doing as opposed to us messing around with the you know with the monitor and this and that yeah and, you know where is this piece and you know these people know how to use it correct mm -hmm. so yeah. in a blood spatter and a blood spatter scene where it has to be analyzed and it has to be reconstructed yeah we're gonna have a group of three we're gonna have three groups yeah. of three and everybody's gonna take a floor and that's all their job they're not gonna do anything yeah. else you know, yeah. and, and you don't burn them out either with, okay, you're done with this floor. Now I need you to go and document every, all the cars outside. No, that's another oh. That's another team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there's a car at the Sally Port mm -hmm. waiting for mm -hmm. you when you're done. And you're like, ugh. The yeah. same thing with the hospital. The same thing with yeah, the hospital. Yeah, I know. Response, right? Yeah. You have 15 people in a hospital. What do you do? Send two people. The, those people are going to be there forever. Because yep. one victim will probably take you about 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. So multiply 45 minutes to times 15 people. You're going to be there all, all, pretty much a whole day. Mm-hmm. And they were... And <laughs> Math is hard sometimes. Well, the scene <laughs> I'm thinking about, am I correct? They were even sent to like multiple different hospitals. Not everybody was even in the same place. Right. I think there were about four different hospitals. Yeah, because I know a few colleagues of mine were asked to contribute to the hospital visits. And, well, my firstborn daughter was only five weeks old, so I wasn't mm. going anywhere to help. But thanks for doing that whole crime scene collaboration thing amongst all the units in our county after I quit. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, we were waiting till you quit. <laughs> oh! So we didn't have to deal with you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> Whatever. Oh. Hey, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be replaced. Laura and I, we have good banter. Rob, you're no, good no, too, but I can't not. be replaced. Of course not. Shelly. So funny. Okay. Maybe there he can just join so, sometimes. Before we get into processing victims on a scene like this from a crime scene perspective, we have discussed before like the fact that things get in and sometimes scenes can have heavier moments now this one had like the victims were uniquely vulnerable let's just say that how were you mentally during and after this so uh i, I explained to people that especially and this is just me um mm -hmm. at this point in my career i view bodies on yeah. scenes as uh -huh. a as a 
as a piece of equipment. Right? Of course, Something that right. I have to use. I have to use Correct. that body in order to find out if there's any injuries, if there's any, it's just, it's just a, a item for me to investigate. Uh, uh-huh. Like I said, injuries or any defects or any, whatever the case may be. I can't, I can't catch feelings with bodies because if I do, what's going to happen is I'm going to break down mentally and I won't be able to do my job. And the job uh-huh. still has to get done, right? Yeah. Now, some people can do it a little bit better than me. Yeah. And some people can do it a little bit less than me because there are some yeah. people. And there are some scenes. I mean, I'm not saying that every scene that I go to, uh, right. you know, hard face and that's it. I'm, I'm going to do the scene and, yeah. you know, and I get in my I have car. Three. Yeah, of course. I have three. Yeah. 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 I, I say for me, it's mm-hmm. like it's scientific. So when I look at something that is emotionally disturbing, and should be emotionally disturbing and people shouldn't see the things that we see sometimes. I just look at it as it's 100% mm-hmm. scientific and I'll get through this because that's where I have to put my mind and I have to just move on because otherwise you will break down and then you won't, you know, the, it's that emotional response is just not healthy Absolutely. for anyone Mentally, on scene. Your mind will not allow you to continue working the next scene where you get something of the like. Uh, I've been to dozens of baby deaths. I've been to dozens of baby deaths involving everything from gunshot wounds to drownings in different areas. You know, the beach, the pool, a cruise ship. So sad. Yeah. Everybody's there. You know, everybody's there having fun. All of a sudden, where's this kid? And we find him in the bottom of the pool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. With that being said, you know, I I can't let the emotions guide me or take over me on a scene. Now, does that mean that when I get in my car... um, you know, I let the emotions go, you know, it could happen. Right. And it's ha- it has happened maybe on one or two scenes where I'm like, yeah, you know, I just, cu- I just couldn't bear it anymore. But, you know, on scene, and this is my advice to uh, uh, investigators out there, forensic investigators, um, you still have a job to do. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot continue doing that job on that scene, not forever, but on that scene, you have to open up to another investigator mm-hmm. And let them know that the job still continue, still has to continue because you're again mentally your emotions are going to not allow you to continue continue doing that job, and you're going to shortcut, you're going to not, you know, you're going to miss evidence. And I'm not talking about an unattended death or uh, you know a SIDS, which I I know there's another word for it now, but you know a SIDS death, you know I'm talking about a homicide, I'm talking about kids being killed because I've had that, I've had that before, you know, little kids, big kids, uh, teenagers. But yeah. if I would allow emotions to run my uh, my mind while I'm investigating yeah. these scenes, I am going to, again. I'm going to miss evidence. I'm going to shortcut evidence because what I want to do is get out of that scene as as fast as possible. Yeah, and the justice will not be there for the families yeah. because the, again, the job has to be done because the job doesn't finish when we put the evidence tape on the door and say goodbye, right? It continues. It does not. It continues back at the office where we process all this stuff. It continues in the lab where it has to be analyzed, and then it continues into the legal system where now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, defense attorneys, uh, prosecutors are looking at this, and you know everybody else afterwards. So, you know, imagine shortcutting everything. What's yeah. going to happen to the case? It's going to crumble. All yeah, emotions. You know, exactly. No, I agree. You know, and yeah. it's. It's funny because I the more CSIs that I talk to, like the ones that kind of sneak in, it's never like something. Well, I shouldn't say never. That's not true. But it's typically not like these huge ones like you're talking about. It's usually something where there was like a trigger on the scene that 
like was it yeah. unique like i have a one of my old colleagues is not a new csi you know her well and she told me that one time she went to a child death and she went to take pictures of the bedroom of the child and he had the same toys as her child mm. and so it wasn't even like the more tragic elements of the scene it was an overall documentation and that was she was just it was yeah. done she was done she couldn't finish the scene and so it's always something like that that like sneaks in or it's a uh, you know it was it was a major you know some yeah. major casualty or something that really yeah. should have affected you but you maintained your composure and then the next scene you went out on it was a similar smell or the same a similar color mm -hmm. or a similar object and that you break down on that scene and then that scene's yeah, really not right, even that bad right. you know every scene is awful when someone dies but you know maybe it's not even a scene for a mm -hmm. death it's you know something whatever and it's yeah there's just the triggers it's definitely the triggers and it's it's unexpected on when, yeah, when it's no, going to no, happen. You're absolutely right. And I tell people, you know, in the 15 years that I've been in crime scene, I mean, I'm going to calculate and I tell them I, I calculate. I've probably seen between 13 and 1400 bodies. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's wow. only because we get that number of calls a year per person. Yes, you do. In my yes. unit. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, most of them involve death. I mean, once in a while we get a shooting when nobody dies. But the next week we get three you know three death calls it could be anything from an unattended yeah. to a homicide so they catch up the dead bodies catch up with your number yeah but again if after 50 bodies i break down you know what, what's going to happen to the next 50 cases or the yeah. next 50 bodies that i have to investigate you know um <sighs> on that yeah. you guys were kind of lucky because you didn't have to get called out to as much petty bullshit as i used to have to get called out to because <laughs> Lucky you. I would rather only get called out to stuff like that. Okay. So the other scene that I'm thinking of is a larger building. It is a mass transit building. And, you know, I don't think there were as many victims on this scene. You can refresh my memory. I think it was like less than half as many. But it, the issue here was we're talking about a lot of crowds that were in the vicinity of the incident where mm -hmm. there also wasn't a lot of places to go. Mm -hmm. There wasn't like so. And as officers and other personnel are responding to this scene, it creates a huge backlog because there wasn't anywhere for anyone to go so then people were unable to get to the scene and then on top of that i don't really remember how long that incident was live but can you discuss some of the challenges from those scene that scene and how you overcame them absolutely so that scene being the the first mass incident uh response that i went to um prior to the second one um so with that one on my way there Again, in my head, I was telling myself, and I still remember, what, how am I going to approach the scene? Um, there was five victims on that scene. Mm. Um, so when I get there, um, you know, it's mass chaos. I mean, there's yeah. cars everywhere. So my partner and I, we park on the um, on the grass, which, you know, there's no parking there, but we park on the grass and we <laughs> run inside. And um, the first thing that I see, aside from cops everywhere and people everywhere, is um, there's an old lady 
old lady. And by old lady, I mean she's about maybe 85 years old, 90 years old. Um, there's, so there's an old lady, and she's holding wow. someone by the ground. Now, when I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, I don't, I, like in my head, I was just probably comforting somebody. It was later on where I learned that this lady was actually, the husband had gotten shot and killed, and she was holding the husband while he was dying. So, oh, I know that's what oh, I said. Wow. Oh. So, with that being said, um, you know, for me to see that in person, not realize what it was, but later on ex- be explained what it was. Um, yeah. That was sad to me. That was sad, and that stuck. Yeah. That still sticks to my head. Wow. Um, so again, one of those scenes where it sticks to the yeah. head. Now, as far as the security of that scene, you know, it, it was hard because it was thousands and thousands of people everywhere. Now. I don't really say this that much, but <laughs> when prior for me, prior to me moving down here to Florida, I used to live in New York in the city, and um, I used to go to John Jay College, which is in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. On 9/11, when 9/11 occurred, I was there in college, and I remember running, and running, and running uh, down 59th Street, and when I got to a bridge, a certain bridge. Um, I remember people trampling over each other and falling and picking themselves mm-hmm. up and running and running. And I had to actually, I ran too. Um, I wasn't close to the towers, but I still remember, again, just the chaos, the mass chaos. On this particular scene, when yeah. people were running, and I, like I said, hundreds of people, thousands of people, and they were running and trampling over each other, it literally mm-hmm. triggered something in my head yeah. that reminded yeah. me of that day when I was um, yeah. when I was 20, uh, 20 well I was 21 when I was 21 years old and it triggered something in my head and, and when I closed my eyes that day when I was looking at this it just it reminded me of that of 9-11 but there was a problem the problem was that on the police radios they kept saying that there was shots fired somewhere else and shots fired somewhere mm. else and shots fired somewhere else so Every time that happened, we had to throw ourselves on the ground, uh, grab some, uh, you know, something for cover. And obviously we're armed. So we had to take our guns out for a possible shooting for another possible shooting while we're on the scenes trying to do this, uh, you know, trying to investigate it and and work it. Um, And that happened a couple of times. And I do remember happening a couple of times. People were running one way, running the other way. And every time they would run, we thought that it was a shooter and we had to get down on the floor. So, so imagine how many times you've been on a scene, you know, whether you're a civilian or a cop, it doesn't matter. How many times you've been on a scene where mm-hmm. you've had to get on the floor and protect yourself, right? Never. Right? Protect yourself. And yeah, this never. is exactly what was happening. You know, we were protecting ourselves because every time people started running, we were thinking that there was another shooting. And that was that was what was coming through the radio, through the police radios. There's another shooting here. There's another shooting there. Jeez. And, you know, up to the point where I was like, what are we going to do? I mean, do we have like six, seven different scenes? Again, that's prior to what had happened a year later. But what do we do? Right. Do I finish yeah. here wow. and then continue to the next one and then continue to the next one? Or do we split up in teams and stuff like that? Now, at the time, we weren't as in the county as close as we are now, uh, where we could just pick up the phone directly. We had to go through chain of commands and, uh, you know, request people if that would have happened. But now, you know, we could actually call people and say, hey, listen, you're activated. We need we need you ASAP, which almost happened at another scene. 
Wow. So part of the problem with Rob and I is that usually whenever we have lunch or hang out, the reason why we stop talking and have to go do other things is because of our lunch or our hangout running into something else that we're supposed to be doing. So <laughs> what know. that Responsibilities. means is doing this, adulting stuff is that I could literally continue to talk to Rob for the rest of the night. However, Oh, I, I could too. I'm yes. so interested. <laughs> we'll leave our audience wanting more. If you want more <sighs> Rob, let us know. Email us at hello at crimescenequeens.com. Find us on social media at Crime Scene Queens for TikTok, for um, Instagram. Instagram. Thank you, Shelly. There are so many ways to reach out to it. Oh, yeah. We have Facebook. We have the Booking yeah. of the Face. That's right. The Booking of the Face. Yes. Yep. And then you can catch Rob uh, teaching classes for Gap and at the Police Academy, but you have to go get into that. Not the then. store Gap. You have to listen to the episode. <laughs> not at the store, not gap. The store yeah, yeah, gap. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah, I don't Rob, do trainings there, at the Gap. Is there anything else you want our audience to know before we... Other than that, you are so amazing, and yeah. literally, I—it I, feels like we've been talking for like five minutes yeah. because I'm just so enthralled. I can't believe that we've done a whole entire show, and I just—I want—I want more. Yeah. yeah. Listen, the only advice that I could give uh, for our investigators, future investigators, and seasoned investigators: um, first of all, have patience with the new people. Have mm-hmm. patience. That's something that I have—I have learned. Throughout yep. my trainings, throughout my years, have patience. And the other thing is always, always, always watch your back and be safe. Watch um, your I will always, always have um, the back of civilian investigators. Um, I love civilian investigators. Mm-hmm. And I will say that openly and freely. And I say it in every training that I do. Yeah. Because the one thing that when people know that I'm a cop or that I'm sworn and they look at me different. But by the time I'm done with the training and stuff, I'm just like yeah. any other, any other I, person. And Believe me. we can say preach on everything Rob just said. Preach on exactly. that. Oh, yeah. Say it louder. Exactly. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I if, if you're with me, I'm with you. Yeah. So I got your back. We got That's your back awesome. too, bro. Yeah. Thank you so much. No You've problem. been absolutely amazing. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, I guess... Unfortunately, we have to say goodbye for this week. Bye-bye for but now. Just for now. Almost. Almost. Because we have to remind everyone also mm-hmm. that you absolutely, absolutely, if you're going to die, you yes. have to do us all a favor and keep it interesting. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Crime Scene Queens is a Q-Code Media production. Executive producers, David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Nate Dufort. Theme song and music by Darren Johnson. 